If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up and the ushers will grab one for you. But I encourage you to, to turn there with me. If you have an electronic device, you want to look at it there, that's great. We're going to read um, just the one verse we are in 6 today, but we're also going to read some other scripture in Ephesians. So I would love for you to look on it with me. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I've realized is that we are predominantly, whether you are a follower of Jesus for a short amount of time or for a long period of time, we are, we are people that really truly depend on our own strength in a lot of things. Um, you can see that specifically through our, um, our prayerlessness in our lives, or even maybe the way that we do pray. You can see how sometimes we, we don't really truly depend on the Lord's um, provision or strength to get through it. We just, prevent, like we, um, we just desire to see him work for us in these little areas, and we think he just needs a little dose of his help as opposed to, to doing it. Um, completely by him. We can also see our, our lack of dependence on God and, and maybe the way that we feel shame about some of the things that we continue to struggle with. We feel convicted or we feel this shame or this moment of, of this is wrong, I shouldn't do it, but instead of, instead of allowing God's strength to, to get us through that, we start trying to figure out ways in which on our own we can kind of get ourselves out of it. Um, if you remember a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 6, we started talking about um, kind of the finally section that the Apostle Paul hits us with as the, at the end of, of the book of Ephesians, where he's, he's telling us that, look, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but our battle is truly with the spiritual realm. And there's this, there's this hierarchy and this organiza- or, or, or organization to it and the schemes that happen with a desire of the enemies to cheat, steal, destroy anything that would bring glory to God. And what we had talked about during that time was I had asked you to specifically pray for God, pray in boldness of God's name, recognizing that his power has defeated sin and conquered Satan, and that we have the strength to to live by that. And one of the things that when I was studying through this week too, Debbie um, reminded me of as well, is that as often as we want to pray specifically for the power of God or the power of Jesus' name, when we do so with unrepentant sin, we are crippling him. We, we come to, we come to the, 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 the aspect of our life where like, Jesus, I need your strength to get me out of this struggle, whatever it may be, but we are carrying and holding on to all this unconfessed sin, this unrepentant heart in this way. In a lot of ways, it's like we hamstring ourselves because we, we are in the way of, of the true power because Jesus is saying, I have the power to heal you of this, but you keep holding on to that. I want to work in you and my power will defeat and conquer all this, but you've left a stronghold in place. It's just an open door continually for the enemy to work because of your unrepentant heart, your, your pride to, to get rid of it, your, your fear, whatever it may be. And so, so we have to remember that, that the power that we have in Jesus' name is, is true and it's ours and everything's, and, and that's great and the strength that we have there to, conv- to defeat the enemy, but we have to remember that it's not without, an unre- it's, with, it's with a repentant heart that that needs to happen. See, a lot of times I think um, many of us, because of our self-sufficiency or our, our, our dependence on ourselves, we, we start believing these, these half-truths in our life. We start believing that they, they seem mostly true, but they're not entirely true, which ultimately would truly call it, it would be a lie then. It's not truth, it's a lie. It's not a, there's no half-truth. And the scripture where we are today is, is the beginning of, of the armor of God. 
And, and this is such a profound and beautiful image. In fact, show of hands, I did this first service. How many of you were raised in the church? Just, just raise your hand if you've spent a lot of time in the church. Okay, perfect. Put your hands up if you've had, or remember, some kind of sermon series, some kind of kids' classroom around the armor of God. Raise your hand up. Everyone's done that? Okay, remember like the little plastic helmets that people would put on or the tinfoil breastplate? You ever seen any of that stuff? Like, right, we've all experienced that. As, as good and as, as beautiful and as wonderful our the aspects of the armor of God, I think for the longest time, most of us have experienced that in a, in a way where we believe wholeheartedly that, the, that we kind of go, okay, I know our, our battle is, with, is not with flesh and blood, it's in the spiritual realm, and that's what, we're, that's what the Apostle Paul just told us. And so we say, okay, God, give us this armor so that we in our flesh can start battling the spiritual realm. And so we start walking out and believing that, okay, well, I've got the helmet and I've got the, the, the belt and I've got the breastplate and I'm, I'm ready to go. And it's this beautiful imagery that the Apostle Paul's using. But I think we still end up coming to this set of Scripture, coming to this last chunk of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul starts speaking this, this, this term to, to stand. And we, it's almost like we throw off everything we've learned in the first few chapters of Ephesians when it comes to the standing. So let me read this Scripture and then we'll... We'll dig in. It's verse 13 in chapter 6. Therefore, again, the, the therefore is because in light of who our enemy is, in light of what we're battling, in light of who he is and what he's doing, in light of our need for God's strength, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. The apostle Paul here hits stand like ridiculously, fourfold actually. And it's, it's essentially this. The, 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 the word stand can be translated best kind of to, to, not, to not fall back, to not be wobbly, to be, to be firmly planted. But the reality is, is this, is that most of us, when we think about the full armor of God and standing in this presence, we think that we, think that we, have, we have a role to play in this. We think that, that really it comes back to what we can do. And I think if we're not careful, we, we lose the reality of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, specifically around the beautiful imagery. Look, there's, there's so much profound imagery. The Apostle Paul is writing this book of Ephesians while being like essentially chained to a Roman guard. And there is so much history on the Roman guard. Roman, the Roman Empire and the, the military was at its peak in this day. And so when he starts speaking in military terms, he does it all over the New Testament. All the books he's penned, you see this military term. This is an image that they understood. Oh, Ro Roman guard, okay, armor. They, they were picturing what a Roman armor looked like. And I believe that that is truly what he's speaking into, that imagery. But there's two other really profound and big things that we can't rule out when the Apostle Paul is writing this. And, and, and one of them is, um, if you remember, way back at the beginning of Ephesians, we talked about how Ephesus was the hub of, of kind of Asia in that way. And there was a, a bunch of magic and, and gods and, and, and all sorts of things. And one of the biggest gods was the fertility god Artemis. And she had specifically six very specific ways to pray to her. So it's no, I don't think it's any accident that the Apostle Paul talks about six forms of the armor of God in, in recognition of the six prayers that you would do for Artemis. In fact, we know that the Apostle Paul's influence and, and the, the scripture and what Jesus Christ was doing was immense because we see in Acts how, how people that are making idols are, are frustrated with them because their sales are plummeting because no one's buying them anymore because they're coming to Jesus Christ. And so maybe that's the imagery. We also get the profound and the most beautiful picture as well where the Apostle Paul is probably pulling from Isaiah 59 or 57 and 11 where it speaks specifically about different 
aspects of God's armor. But God is the one who is wearing that armor as our divine warrior. And that's what takes this image right here. Whether he's speaking about the Roman guards, which they understood or not, or whether he's really, really kind of pulling in the fact that we now get to wear the armor that God himself wears and fights for us, or if he's just trying to combat the six false God prayer things that happen through Artemis. Either way, all of those things are kind of at play in this imagery. And if we kind of just attack it that way, we go, okay, great, let's, let's dig out the history and let's pull all these different things. And there are very valuable things to understand about the armor. And we're going to talk about each piece of these armors over the next coming weeks. Some of the, some of the profound things like the, the, the Roman guards or any armor would always have the crest of who you were fighting for, who you were under authority of. And so when a, Jew, a first century Jewish person saw a Roman guard, there was no question, like, I wonder if he's from Rome or not. Like, I wonder which one he is. Like, they knew specifically because he, he bared the crest on his breastplate. There would have been a crest. There would have been some sign, a signature that says, this is who I am. I am a Roman guard, and I am under the authority of Rome. I come in the power of Rome. You mess with me, you mess with all of Rome. And so there's this this crest. There's this image that we take when we take on the armor of God. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But, but what I wanted to do today is I wanted to actually go back in Ephesians. I wanted to go back to chapter 1. And the reason is, is because of this, is because ultimately I think when it comes to the armor of God, and maybe because we've been raised in the church, we've seen this, these aspects of, of what what armor is supposed to look like, and I need, okay, I need the, the breastplate of righteousness, and I need to gird the, the belt of truth. And, and the reality is, yes, we need all of those aspects, but we, we view them individually as if there's something that I can just take this one aspect on, and they're not tied together. If you look at the, the whole armor of God as a whole, you can't have truth without righteousness and all those other things. Like the way that he's encompassing it, it's all or nothing. He, it's, it's, it's almost like the Apostle Paul's coming back to Ephesians 4.24 where he's telling us to put on the new self. If you remember back, we talked about the idea of, of being new, and it's like we, we have these old clothes. It's a slice-filled cl- closet that we keep trying to put this old, ugly sweater over the new self and walk in this old flesh. When we aren't old, we are new. See, the, the difficulty is, is, is this, is that when I think about the, the war, the battle that we are in and the, who we're fighting against, it's not our flesh. It's, it's something that's profoundly huge and, and big, and, and the battle's going to continue until Jesus decides, uh, until Jesus comes under the authority of God and, and, and brings his kingdom to full fruition. But that battle's going to continue in this, this kingdom presence, but not fully there yet. This moment's going to keep happening. But, but neither is going to really, like, it's not going to end. Does that make sense? Like, you and I don't get to stop from this. It's not like we get to go, okay, sweet, I wore the armor through my teenage years because, boy, those were hard. But now that I'm in college, I don't need it anymore. No, in fact, really the only time we change our clothing, because clothing has such a big and powerful image in the scriptures. I mean, I mean, think about it this way. You could literally, by clothes, tell who someone was by class, by origin. I mean, this is, like, clothing was a big thing in this time. It wasn't like today where, you know, the clothing is just how good it's going to look in a selfie. You know, like, there was a... The, the, the clothing in this day was like, okay, I know you're rich because of what you wear. I know you're Roman because of what you wear. I know you're Jewish because of what you wear. I know you're a Gentile because of what you wear. It was very obvious. Clothing was a very, very big thing. But you and I are meant to wear this armor until we're with Christ clothed in the robe of glory. Like, there's, there's, there's not a, 
another outfit for us to pick. We don't go shopping in the closet and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the armor now. No, like we will be clothed in glory, a robe of glory in the presence of God. But until then, we are called and commanded to wear the armor of God and to stand our ground, to stand in the middle of this battle, to hold firm, to remain in this. But the problem is, even as I say that, even as I talk about that, most of us go to this idea of what we do every morning. Okay, I get up, I hopefully shower, I, I plead with you to brush your teeth, and you do so, and then you go to your closet, and you get whatever clothes on, and then you go about the day. And we view that as the armor of God. Okay, I got it on, and I go about my day. We, we act like it's just something we just need to have in hopes that maybe we'll be okay today and be able to take on some more shots that may come at us. When the reality is, we are absolutely, hear me on this, please. We are, you, can, you can check out after this if you want. We are absolutely, hopelessly, ridiculously without any chance to survive or live in a hope-filled or peace-filled life without the armor of God in Christ. We have nothing apart from that. So it's not a matter of us trying to get one aspect enough or doing the right steps or praying the right motion down so we can work through these six things and this is how you do it. Although those are beneficial and helpful, and I'm not, not just negating those, but, but it's, it's more than that. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to, to go back to Ephesians chapter one. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because so many of us have moved on from it, which is why I think the apostle Paul comes back to it here. He comes into this moment where it's like, okay, finally, brothers and sisters, finally, we're gonna stand and I think he's assuming and he's hoping and he's pleading with these people that they haven't forgotten what the truth is in chapters one and two of who they are apart from Christ. And so what I want to do is, if you will, turn with me to chapter one. We're going to read a lot of scripture here real quickly. Because if, it, if, we, if we lose sight of this, if we lose sight of this, we will never ever, hear me on this, we will never ever stand firm. You cannot stand because it's not your strength. Even when he starts talking in chapter six about spiritual warfare, he encourages us to be strong in what? In the Lord. He doesn't tell us to muster up the strength, so let me just read chapter one. And I wanna do two things first off. In this, I told you guys when we went through this originally, I want you to, um, I said, wherever it says us or we or you, put your name in. I don't want you to do that this time. Okay, that is incredibly detrimental to the theology of this book and specifically the armor and the way it works. It's a good practice for us to understand what he's done for us. And it's true, still true, very true. But he's done it for us. So right now I want you to kind of picture yourself uncomfortably molding into the person next to you. And you become no longer individual beings in this room, but you become an us, a people that has been set apart by God with these truths. It's not a me thing. And I think it is an us and a we thing. In fact, one of the things that I shared with someone, I've had so many conversations with people over these last few weeks where they are, they are wrestling with the same thing over and over and over again. And they're pleading for healing. And they just keep wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with the same thing over and over again. And it's almost, it's almost ridiculous how often I have to remind them, you're believing the lie that you're in this alone. It's a, it's a half-truth. It's the way the enemy words it is. You have Jesus Christ. You should be able to do this on your own. Yeah, well, I have Jesus Christ. I should be able to do this on my own. The way that he plays that is you have Jesus Christ, so don't dare you try and use anyone else because if you do, then you obviously don't have Jesus Christ and you're a failure. 
The reality is we need one another. We need each other for prayer. We need each other for accountability. We need each other to sharpen us and to point us to truth. So when you hear this us, I'm going to overemphasize the us and the we in hopes that you will do the same. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us us in the beloved. That's Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of, our, of, of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Moving down to chapter 2, verse 1. And you, who were, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, and this is a big but, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he, lav he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. What did we do in those two sections of Scripture? What's the one thing that we can take credit for? Sin, that's right. We carried out the fleshly desires. That's, that's what we get to take ownership of. Right? We were, we were children of disobedience. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. This is so important. The battle is with the spiritual warfare. Well, before Christ, we were children of him. We carried out the desires of the flesh. That's what we get ownership of. That's what you and I can claim, like, hey, I did that, owned it. Now, what does Christ do for us? What does God do for us? Come on, what does he do? There's so many in here. Yell them out. Don't be afraid. Blessed us. Absolutely. What else has he done? Raised us up with him. That's a good one. What else? Loved us. Yes, keep going. There's so many, guys. You're no wrong answers. Come on. Yes, yes, keep going. Chose us, keep going, these are good. Made us alive with Christ, absolutely, amen. What else? Redeemed us, yes. He predestined us. He sealed us. 
We were created for good works. We're his workmanship. You hear that, guys? You're his workmanship. He didn't, he didn't mess up on you. You're, you're an original masterpiece of the most amazing God, the only God ever. And you know what he did? He, he seated you with him in Christ as what? As co-heirs. You are, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Having done nothing but carry out the desires of your flesh is all you get to claim. That's all we get to own. See, when we come to the armor of God, we have to remember that we are seated with Christ by his doing, by his work. If you remember back, I, I, I challenged all of us in, the, in this, and it happens here. We, I skipped the scripture, but he calls us holy and blameless. And if you remember right, back then I asked, I said, show of hands, how many of you in here feel holy and blameless? Do you, do you remember how many hands went up? I mean, maybe one or two, like the people that were really good students or the people that sat in first service and knew the right answer second service, right? The reality is we were, we were so plagued by the fact that we couldn't understand that we are holy and blameless, not by anything we've done or, not, or going to do, but by what Christ has already finished and completed in his blood for us. We are, not, we are not strong enough. We are not capable enough. We bring nothing to the table. Christ does everything for us. So when we fast forward to chapter six, and it's been a, f a few months as we've been working through this, I wanted us to make sure that we remember that our very position with the Lord has nothing to do with us. So then why on, in the world would we assume that our stand against the enemy has something to do with us and our strength? That's foolishness. Actually, let me just say it this way. That's a lie that the enemy has implanted in your brain and you are believing. You are believing that you are capable of standing on your own. To take on the full armor of God, this, is, uh, this scripture has nothing to do with the pieces, although we will talk about that. It has more to do with the divine provider of it. Like the, 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 I, don't, I don't get excited about the breastplate of righteousness because it's a cool breastplate. I get excited about that because that righteousness is God's that he's infused, imputed on me. It's a righteousness that I did not earn. It's a righteousness that I cannot earn. It's a righteousness that I will never live up to in my own strength. So when we take on the full armor of God, people, you've got to understand this. You've got to hear this. We take on all of it. And it's not our strength. It's not your strength that's going to get you through your marriage issues. It's not your strength that's going to get you through your lust issues. It's not your strength that's going to get you through your pride issues. It is not your strength or your willpower, your creativeness, or your, your abilities that are going to walk you out of the sins and the struggles. It is his strength, his work, his armor, his redemption, his blood. And we continue to believe the lie that we can do it on our own. And you know how I know that? Because we're too prideful to ask for help from any other believer. We won't, we, how, how dare we vulnerably set ourselves up to say, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with this. Well, I've been done that before and they've burned me. That's, that's on them, not you. The same spirit of God that lives in you as a professed follower of Jesus Christ lives in them as a professed follower of Jesus Christ. You are united through him. Not because you like the same things. Not because you live in the same geography. No, you are united by the spirit. And so when we come to the armor of God, we have to remember a couple things. One is that there is, there is no strength in myself. Two is, is that this isn't necessarily about what the armor does for us, although 
let me tell you this right now. We need the truth of God to break in at the lies that we're believing. You're, you're never going to get anywhere until we acknowledge all the lies that we keep believing and living and perpetuating and acting out of. It is the very word of truth of God that comes in and, and destroys the stronghold of those lies. But the, 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 the bigger point around the armor, at least what I'm seeing in this, is not specifically what the armor does. It's who is providing the armor. It's, it's the, the armor is the, is the finished work of Jesus Christ. The armor is, is God's, literally in Isaiah, when it talks about this armor, it's God putting this on in war for us. So you and I are walking around with the crest of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I can guarantee every single first century Jew kind of puckered up and got a little, you know, like maybe you do when you're driving and a cop is around here in Idaho. Like you're like, oh, drive two hands and all of a sudden you go 10 and 2. I think they teach differently now, but either way. And then you go like, you're like paying attention. You use your blinker better and you're like way attention. Phone's down, no more texting. Every time you see a cop, right? That's the, that's the experience that most every single first century Jewish person had around a Roman guard. Fear. Watch out. They could do something. They could say anything. Anything could happen at any moment, whether it's true or not. And I was at the mercy of them because they had the power to do something about it. You have way more power in the crest of Jesus Christ's name. You have way more strength in his armor than you do anything else in this world. And you walk into a room bearing that crest and people should be not fearful of you, but drawn to you. What is that hope and peace and truth and righteousness that you are wearing? What is that? I want that. I want to I know how do, you, how do you stand against this attack after attack after attack and still have peace? How do you, how do you live with the, the, the darkness and the disgusting mistakes of all these people and still rest in truth? And the simple answer is this. I don't. You don't. He does. But we just have become such a practical application kind of people. I need the 16 steps on how to wear the armor exactly right so that I know that I can do it perfectly. When the answer is this, give up on yourself completely. It's, it's, it's interesting. The, when Jesus, in Jesus' ministry, I think he says quite a few times throughout the Gospels, you need to be really, really strong and, and, and present yourself as possibly good as you can on the outside so that you can hear my truth. He never says that. In fact, he says, blessed are the meek. In fact, he talks about, you know, a, the childlike faith. Oh, no, 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 no. You must be last and you'll be first in the kingdom of God. He continues to, to point out that it's the humble that receive and understand the kingdom of God. What's more humbling than recognizing you, me, we are hopeless without the armor of God. We have no chance. Let me say this right now. You have no chance of standing against the flaming darts, the enemy. You have no chance of standing. Your marriage has no chance without Jesus Christ. And I, I understand how disheartening that may feel to some of you because some of you are like, man, I... I mean, I think I believe that. I feel like I believe that, but I'm not seeing anything different because you're believing the lie that your life is supposed to be simple and easy and perfect and exactly how you wanted it to be. That's another lie. That's another half-truth. 
Danny and I were talking about it. God blesses those who help themselves. Yeah, show me that in the Bible, okay? It's not there. So many of those little things that we start believing as truth, and they're more cultural things, and we infuse them in the scriptures, and they, they completely take us out of the very spot that we need to be, which is on our hands and knees before the Lord broken, saying, I bring absolutely nothing to you, God. In fact, what I bring is, is my fleshly desires. And so I want more of you. And that means that less of me has to go, then that's fine. That means I need to be, there needs to be even less of me. And if I need to be even lower, if you need to bring me down even further, humble me, Lord, because I want your grace. Don't let me be prideful because I don't want your opposition. So when we come to the armor of God, we have to rest in the fact that we cannot walk with the Lord. We cannot without the Lord. We cannot stand with the Lord without the Lord. And we definitely cannot do any of that if we are not seated with the Lord in Jesus Christ. So when you think of the armor, don't throw out everything you've heard, but recognize it's not a matter of just throwing it on in the closet in the morning and going about your day. It is that every single aspect and choice of your life that you have is his. You are his. And the best part, the best part, guys, is that he's the one that's doing it all. There is so much freedom in that. If right now when I say he's the one that's doing it all, and if I read this first chapter and there's, there's nothing in you, and I'm not talking about some kind of emotion like, oh, that's neat and it makes me want to cry. I'm talking like there's nothing in you that goes, oh, praise God, because without him, I'm so done, then you are, you are eerily close to pride in your life in some way or another. If you don't recognize your inability to de defeat all of these things. I was just talking with a friend this last week and they were like, oh man, I, I'm only struggling so much. You know what? I think one of the biggest lies the enemy tells us and does is comparison. Goodness, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. We use comparison and he, the enemy uses comparison to bring about truth in our lives that we think is truth, but it's a half truth. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. So I can't be addicted. I only do this once a week or twice a week or three times a week, but I'm not like that person where they're every day. That's a half truth. Yeah, you're right. You're not as bad as that person, but you're still drastically far from the Spirit of God and the call of His life on you. Comparison's a lie. The lie is that you, you think you got to do this alone. Man, if I could just, if I could just have one word step out of this scripture, is us. Us. Stop being so prideful, so fearful so insecure, whatever it may be, and isolating yourself around people. We're so good at this. We're around people all the time, but we're drastically isolated because we're, no one really knows what's going on in our heart. No, we're not letting anyone into the pains, the struggles, because it's like, well, I don't want to burden them. Well, this is weird. It calls us to bear one another burdens. I'm just going to ignore that scripture. Well, I don't really, I don't really want to, you know, I don't, I don't really know if prayer really does much. Now, how, I mean, show of hands. How many people really want to say that out loud? Does prayer really do much? No, I mean, we struggle with that. Most of us, like the Christian answer would be, well, of course prayer does a lot. Obviously. But practically, we don't live like that. We don't live like that because we don't ever ask for it. Because when we ask someone to pray for us, we think it's simply like they just are going to throw something up in there and hope that maybe by chance God, it catches God's attention. Ooh, that one was shiny enough. I'll take that one. Like, no, guys, this is not about us. This is about him. The, the armor of God is a right understanding of who we are in Christ. It's his, 
Danny said this this last week to me, and it was really, really interesting to me, and thought-provoking, so I'm just going to throw it out to you guys because I can't reconcile all of it. But he said, his provision is only as good to us as our recognition of how much we need it. And I can't help but think, like, man, we, we really, 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 really don't feel like we need much of his provision. So when I read Ephesians 1, he's done this for us, he's done this for us, he's done this for us. Most of us operate out of, well, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm glad he did that for me. I mean, I, you know, I worked pretty hard for it and I submitted myself when I was supposed to and we don't really see like, oh my gosh, like this should, this should wreck you. I mean, wreck you, not, maybe not in tears like me because I cried everything, but like maybe it wrecks you in a different way, you know, like a more manly, like quiet inside way. I don't know, like no. Like, whatever it may, but this should, this should wreck you. The truth of the scripture should absolutely devastate you. Because an absolutely 100% perfect God loves you so much in your imperfection that he gives you a way to be perfect by his own son, Jesus Christ. That should just haunt us daily. Because if we recognize our need there, guys, we'll never ever try and stand without him or walk without him. We'll, we'll continue to go, I, I, I ain't going out there. There's no way. I'm not standing right there without him. Come on. I'm not, I don't, how dare I get in front of this? I'm not going to try and walk this life. I'm not going to try and make these relational decisions without the Lord. What's, that's just stupid. I'm not going to go through this battle without the community that God has put us together covering me in prayer. That's just ridiculous. Who would do that? That's the posture in which we should be operating. The band is going to come up and we're going to worship some more. But as we get ready to dig into the armor of God and what it looks like on an individual space, please, please, please don't ever, 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 ever get to the spot where you think you have control of your life. That is such a prideful thing. How, like, you bear the crest of Jesus Christ. If you, if, you, if you proclaim him as Lord and Savior, you bear his name. So why would we carry around unrepentant sin? That's not Christ. Why would we walk in bondage? That's not Christ. Why would we walk in fear or timidity or, or pride? That's not Christ. We are clothed in something drastically different that is given to us by God and upheld on us by God. And it is his spirit that leads us to do more of it for his glory. May we be a people that are so much more powerful because we realize just how weak we are apart from him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for every single person here right now, God, specifically around um, our lack of dependence on you. God, forgive us for making decisions that we think are small, decisions about education, decisions about um, community, relationships, jobs, re relocation, making all these decisions that we seem to think small. Forgive us for making those decisions without ever once calling on you or the community you have around us. Now forgive us for continuing to try and solve our marital issues on our own strength. Forgive us for watching, um, watching your kingdom go on around us and not taking the part you called us to be in it. God, I want to pray specifically for the individuals in here that continue to wrestle and battle and um, what seems to be an incredible losing battle, God, that they, um, that they would just fully drop themselves to you. It's such a hard 
thing. I, I would love to give seven steps on how to submit yourself to the Lord, but you just tell us to submit. It's the opposite of what our pride wants. And so God, I pray that you'd break down our pride. God, I pray that you'd humble us. And for those of us that continue to um, believe these half lies, God, would your truth break in? Would, you, would your truth break in so clearly that we, we can't even believe, we're dumbfounded by the, the, the lies that we've actually been operating and living and believing? Father, forgive us for believing that prayer has no value or power. God, forgive us for not connecting to you. Instead, just trying to use you as some tool to be used as opposed to a God to be loved and in relationship with. So Father, I pray for for this community. I pray it's a, a community of people that are ready to experience whatever comes at them, not because of their abilities or their their good looks or their qualities or their strengths, but instead because of their ineptness and their weakness and their, their devastatingly neediness on you, Lord. God, break us down for the individuals that keep using half-truths. Um, I pray that you would squash the enemy's voice and the enemy's lies and all they would have is the truth of your word. For the people that are too fearful to call on someone else to pray for them, God, I pray that you'd break that fear and show them the power that comes through those who are together in prayer. And God, for, for us that, that stand in your armor, I thank you. I thank you, thank you, thank you for clothing me with something I would never have ever been able to come up with on my own. Thank you for putting me in a position where I could actually wear this armor. Thank you for giving me the ridiculous honor to be able to wear the name of Jesus Christ. And forgive me for, for tarnishing that name at times. God, forgive me for um, thinking that I have the ability to do anything apart from you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.